This morning I want to talk to you about the subject of family. And to do that, I want to open up this morning by sharing Psalm 68, 5 and 6. Psalm 68, 5 says this, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Would you say families? Families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. How awesome it is for us to come uh, together today for the purpose of worshiping you. Uh, Lord, as we pour out our hearts to you, you pour your heart into us, and it never gets old. I thank you so much for your presence and your love. Right now, would you open our hearts God, that your word, which has so much authority and so much power, Lord, let your word be planted in each heart. Let us each receive something that's very specific for us. And Lord, would you just fill me with your spirit, Lord, that I might share your word, that what's in your heart will be imparted today. I thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, when I say the word family, um, a lot of different thoughts and emotions can come into each of us depending on our, you know, different experiences and backgrounds. For some of you, when I say the word family, you just get warm inside and you have happy thoughts and, you know, it's rainbows and tulips and all that kind of stuff. For others of you, when I say the word family, uh, the word brings up painful thoughts and it brings up traumatic thoughts. But honestly, for most of us, it's both. There's there's a mixed bag, right? Um, but, you know, the Lord is the one who created the idea of family. It was his idea and his definition or his standard, the mint, if you will, for family is really a beautiful thing. And the word family, it's not there to torment us. It's not there to demoralize us. The word family is there to give us hope because God has a place for us. Um, The Lord created a, a sense of family here at City Harbor Church. And, you know, Ben and Rebecca and Charlotte and Gideon, they left a church family that had a lot of history and a lot of a lot of years, and yet they 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 felt called to come and start a church family here. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Um, yeah, family is a place where we sense and experience belonging. Not like belonging in a creepy, controlling way, like, you belong. You know, it's like, but no, a a place where you feel acceptance. A place where you're important, you're valued. A place where you matter. You're not a number, you're not just somebody in a seat, but um, it matters that you're you're here. Um, And it's not because of, of what you do, it's because you are. Say that to you again. It's not, you're part of a family not because of what you do, just because you are. And it's not because of what you bring to the table, it's because you're at the table that makes you part of a family. Um, we all have in, in our families um, weird people. And, you know, I think everybody in the world thinks, well, you know, people don't know that there's like dysfunction in my family. And I'm like, no, that's like normal which kind of disqualifies dysfunction. I, I realize that, but it's this idea that everybody's got them. I've got this uncle and um, who will remain nameless because who knows, he could listen to the City Harbor Church you know, podcast someday. But my uncle, we'll call him John, 
Um, he came to the table one day. I was at my grandparents' house. He walks in. My wife is getting to know my, my grandparents and getting to know the family. He walks in, barrels in. This is in Erie, Pennsylvania. He looks and he sees the mashed potatoes. And he just kind of bumbles in, grabs the spoon right out of the thing, sticks it in his mouth. Hi, how you doing? Puts it in and walks by. And my, my wife is sitting there like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You know, it was like, it was awesome torment and I'm like babe that's my uncle John he's part of my family no he's part of your family (laughs) and you know Psalm 68 says God sets the lonely in families even uncle John needs a family right because everybody needs to belong everyone needs to belong You know, together, we create an atmosphere that says, you're welcome here. And we are going to treat you like you already belong. There's no new people here. I actually walked up to a quote-unquote visitor the other day at our church. I said, hey, how you doing? We're glad you're here. You know, I just said, make yourself at home. And I said, by the way, we're just going to kind of treat you like family. So, you know, and just kind of went on. Because I could tell that they could receive that kind of thing. Like they were just looking to feel comfortable. It's like, there you go. Have a great day. Let us know if you need anything. You know, not weird, creepy. Hello. You're now part of our family. <laughs> Welcome home. You know, the world, the world says that you have to earn a place to belong. And that there's... There's a work involved. That there's there's all these things you got to fit in. You've got to you got to uh, fit our mold. You got to be who we are. But you see, the kingdom of God says, "I've already pl- prepared a place for you. Just come and sit." Right? Um, a sense of belonging is a culture, and it is a privilege for all of us to perpetuate it, for us to keep it going. And um, the the hard thing is, is as you add family to your family. Um, it's actually all of our responsibilities to keep that going, right? To keep that going. And, and I see it in, in our own church as, as more families are added. And one of the things I tell folks in our, our, our new members or, or folks who are coming into the church for the first time classes, I'll tell them, listen, so we really, it's important to us that everyone, when they come in, feel like they're wanted here. And it's all of our responsibilities to keep that going. Amen? Um, I want to share with you a little bit about the prodigal son, um, part of that story. Um, in Luke chapter 15, I, I'm going to tell you the first part, and then we're going to read the second part. It's a story of a son who, in it's a parable, which means that it's a story that Jesus is telling to make a point. It's not a, like a story like this is what factually happened. Um, and parables have like a ta-da kind of thing, like this big impact. And I'm just going to ch- cut to the chase. It's a story of a son who runs off with the inheritance and he realizes this is not working and, and loses everything and comes back and his father accepts him. Anybody have that story? Yeah, yeah. See, that's and, and the father is the hero, and that's our father in heaven. So I just gave it away. All right. In this, but to break it down a little bit more, you know, um, methodically, it's it's about a son who goes to his father, who's living, and says, "I want my inheritance now, and I want to leave." And of course, when most of us hear that kind of story, we think, "You little brat." 
right? And what the father does is the father gives him the inheritance and he leaves his family. And I love the Bible because the Bible is so real. And it says that the son went out and spent the money on wild living. And I'm like reading in the New Testament, like, this isn't the Bible. He spent it on wild living. Um, and he becomes destitute, um, ends up becoming uh, like an indentured kind of servant and just really uh, serving a master. And he's eating the pig slop, if you will. And he has this thought. He says, you know what? The servants in my father's house have it better than I do. Maybe if I humble myself and go back home, he will accept me as a servant, you know. And in the, the day and age that this story is being t- told, People are thinking, are you kidding me? The amount that you have dishonored your father and what you have done, because when you said, will you give me that inheritance? It's like you said, dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me what's mine and let me go. And so it's this great dishonor that has been done to the father. And yet when the the son comes back, um, if you read the story, the father runs to the son. It's this beautiful picture and there's so much in it. But he runs to the father, uh, to the son, throws a robe around him. And it's this beautiful thing that you are now accepted into the family. All you had to do was come to the father and he was going to run after you. Isn't that cool? And in this story, um, it's about returning. It's about coming back, right? And because everybody needs a place to belong. Everybody needs a home. There's a guy um, once who, this was in the early 70s, he was about 20 years old and he was uh, managing a restaurant in a little college town and it was when the Jesus movement was going on and all of these college kids were just getting uh, accepting Jesus left and right and it was this major move of God and they were obnoxious about the gospel. They would come in and they would, they would look at, they would look at the, the, this 20 year old um, manager and they would say, Jesus loves you and he'd look at them like, Right, just order your coffee, you know, kind of thing. And they were just really obnoxious with it. Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And once this manager goes up and he says, listen, I really appreciate you're here, but I need you to stop it with the Jesus loves you kind of stuff. And they looked at him and they were like, okay. So he goes back to his business and they come to him and they they bring up their check and they're looking at him and he's looking at them and he's looking back, looking back, like, is it going to come out again? (laughs) They didn't say anything. They just handed him the, t- the ticket. He took the ticket, flips it over to put it in the register. Jesus loves you. <laughs> they were so obnoxious. You know, they have not read the books on how to be nice with the gospel or anything like that. And so, but they were effective. And one day, the same group of people said, hey, why don't you come to our house with us? Come over to our home. And even though they were obnoxious and even though they were off-putting, that word home was like this tractor beam. Just like drawing in. Any, any old Star Trek fans? Just drawing you in. And he could not say no. Because what they didn't know is that this young man 
didn't have a home for years. That at the age of 16, he was kicked out of his house by his brothers and sisters, and he had lost his mom at the age of 14. And he hadn't had a home in a really long time. And the word home was just this this thing that just started to draw his heart and bring him in. And he found himself there. So he goes in the middle of the night, and he goes to their home, and an obnoxious young lady comes up to him and says, you know what? If you don't accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And he said, okay. And he got up, and he walked out the room. And he's like, I am out of this house, right? He's walking down the street. Meanwhile, there's another group praying down the street that's connected. And they get this this inclination, you need to leave this house and get on the street right now in the middle of the night. They left the house. They're walking down the street. Guess who's coming the other way? Same guy. Hey, we're going to go to our house down the street. You want to come hang out with us? Just drew him right in. Went there, accepted Jesus, became a Christian, found a family, made a family, got married, had children. I was the first one. It was my dad. And a generation of people who were finding and following Jesus began. And it was because somebody opened up a home. And it wasn't about just the physical home. It was about what was created in the atmosphere by those of us who were in the house. The way that we interact with people is so important. It's so valuable because you're treating people like they already belong, even though they haven't done anything to belong, right? In Luke 15, verse 25, after there's this great celebration, or after the father runs to the son uh, who is dishonored and throws his robe around him, he says, we are going to have a party. And he says, let's kill the fatted calf, which is like Bible talk for let's throw down. You know, let's get the house music going. Boom, boom. But like my son is home, right? Luke 15 and 25, though, talks about the brother and how he feels about this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he... uh, Sorry, I really enjoy that phrase, fatted calf. Sorry. I have chickens at home, so this farm talk is fun for me. Um, He's killed the fatted calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, catch this, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, and I like to, when I read this voice, I like to put on the middle schooler in me, the little whiner middle schooler in me, and go, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son... The father said, now catch this. This is the same father who just received that son. Before we read it, how would you respond to a little brat? Be like, boy. (laughs) You know, but we see so much of the father in the story. It says, my son, the father said, you have all, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And I, I, I don't believe for a second that at City Harbor Church that there is an older brother kind of spirit or attitude. The, the challenge with the older brother was he was jealous because he had his eyes on the younger brother. And he's missing the love that the father already has for him. Now catch this. When our eyes are on how the father's treating you and you and you and how it compares to me, all of a sudden it's like, well, you gave them a good car and, and you know, their marriage is this way and this is that way. We can always find the blessings of God in other people's lives that we get jealous of. And I, I just say really graciously, it's so immature. Because actually what we should do is we should always have our eyes on the Father and watch how He loves all His kids and know that He loves you too. God isn't, we talked about this the other night, God isn't fair and the necessary is like, okay, a dollar for you and a dollar for you. And He ain't fair like that because there's favor, so be glad. He ain't fair because all of us experience His favor. He is just. And some of y'all are like, just got distracted by this fact that I said he ain't fair. Talk to Pastor Ben about that. He will clean that up later. Don't don't lose the message because I said that, okay? Because some, some of you are like, oh, hold on. God ain't fair. But I'll just leave you with this. Favor ain't fair, right? So if I see the favor on this one and the favor on that one and the favor on this one, your father loves you just as much. Just position your heart so that you can receive that as well. See, if we keep our eyes on the Father, we watch how He loves His children, and that reflects on how He loves on me. Because the Father loves all (laughs) y'all. The Father doesn't love the older brother any less. When he said, everything that I have is yours, it was actually very literal because the other son had already taken his inheritance. So it was literally like, all I have is yours. You're whining about a goat. You haven't even killed a young goat for me. I think that's hilarious. (laughs) It's like, and, and yet he's saying, everything I have is yours. What the older brother should have done is he should have joined the party. He should have kept his eyes on the father and said, Dad's celebrating. There must be a reason to celebrate. Dad's happy. There must be a reason to be happy. See, if we keep our eyes on him, it solves so much of the stuff among us. Because we begin to say, God, show me how you love my brother who is annoying me right now. Show me how you love my brother that has taken the grace portion that I have away from me right now. Show me what you see and you will fall more and more in love with your father in heaven. Um, Nothing good happens when children compare themselves among themselves. Those of you who have raised children know this. It does not help at all. One of the things that we've done really practically in our home is we, we try to teach our children to champion each other and to celebrate each other's strengths and not compare with the weaknesses. 
Um, I have a son. He's the. I, we have four children. I, I didn't introduce my my wife to you. I am so sorry. This is my wife Elizabeth. We've been married twenty years, and I like her. I, mean, I really like her. Anyhow, we won't go into all that. I gotta keep my eye on the ball here. Um, we have four children. My oldest, my daughter, my only daughter, she is 19, almost 20. I have three boys, Andrew, Ethan, and Caleb, who are 18, 14, and 9 years old. And they're amazing. Um, I do have one of my children who is like the brainiac of brainiacs. And like school is easy for him. Naturally a hard worker. I wish we could like take credit for like forming and fashioning him this way. But God just did something with this kid, right? And I have to tell you, the other kids notice, they're like, he gets like unbelievable grades. He's always, he's like, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Like, it's just this kind of thing. But I got to tell you, the thing that we try to teach Andrew and teach all the other kids is champion each other. And you know what he does? He champions his sister. And he says, I'm so proud of you for being in nursing school. And I'm so proud of what you're doing. I think you're great at that. And he's sincerely learning how to do that. Even even the one who's perceived as something special, right? And likewise with the others. And if if all of us, if we champion the strengths in one another, that's the way to roll right there. That's that's the way to go. Because our father is the one who sets the culture in the family. Just like in this parable, it was the father who was setting the culture. He set a culture where the other son could come back. Come on. Right? Right? I mean, just the fact that you could come home. How about when people walk out the door? Do we set up a, a culture where it's easy to come back? I tell you what, that matters so much. Because people run away and people have pain and people have to spend, they, they do their, t- their personal time out. I'm giving myself a time out right now, right? And that kind of stuff. If our culture isn't one, hey, we've missed you for a long time. Where have you been? Like, don't do that. <laughs> Ain't helping anybody, right? Hey, it's so good to see you. Hey, will you grab that chair? Like, just like you've always been here. Just like you've always, right? People need that kind of love and respect. They don't need the they don't need the penalty box when they come home, um, it, and it's it is our relationship with the Father that helps us to relate to one another, right? Um, we when we know that we are loved by God, there's no room for fear. There's no room for the other stuff. I love First John four eighteen that says this: There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Isn't that beautiful? See, we keep coming back to the same answer. It's the same answer that's going on right now in the children's room right now, which is the answer is Jesus. The answer is God, right? If we keep our eyes on the Father and we keep our eyes on who He is and who He says He is, it just transforms the way that we relate to others and the ones around us. Um, When we know the love of God, we can love each other. We love, as it says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. He's the standard, right? Perpetuating that culture of you belong, I just want to give you um, a few quick practicals about it because, you know, what I'm sharing is the how we should believe and what our, our thought process should be. But I just want to give you a few practicals about it. Um, one is treat people like they already belong. Like... You're the, like, you already should be here. 
You know, when you walk into a, a restaurant or something like that, they don't look at you and go, hey, you eaten Chinese before? <laughs> I don't know if you can. I mean, I want to know that you can handle Chinese because I don't know if you No, they treat you like, hey, we're so come on, we're going to seat you at a table. We want to take your money. We're glad you're here. But there is a subtle difference. The analogy doesn't quite go in church. Right. You know, it's not like we're not looking for a tip or something like that. Another important thing is, practically, is everyone is important. Everyone has value. Whether they're this big, that big, no matter who they are. I walked in yesterday from the street festival, and I was I was going into the house just for a minute, and somebody's son, who was it, Elizabeth? Somebody's boy, he's about this tall, short little, anyhow. He's sitting there, and he's working with some blocks. Anna, who was it that I was talking with, with the blocks? Okay, who was it? Rylan, thank you. And I sit there and I say, hey man, what you doing? He looks at me. And in his mind, in that moment, he thought, hmm, staff. He looked at me and he goes, I'm building something here. Can you go get me some blocks? (laughs) And I'm looking at him going, I wanted to prophesy. And you shall be an executive. (laughs) Bless your parents. You know, it's like. And I looked at him and I was like, I'm game. I said, yeah, I will. And I went and I looked through the boxes and I, and I, and I went to him. I said, Hey, I said, I got good news and I got bad news. And he looks at me. What's the bad news? I said, well, bad news is there ain't a lot of blocks. What's the good news? I said, I found one and I brought it to him. He goes, thank you. It's like, it's like, go about your day. I'm like, man, I love this kid. It's like, yeah. You know what we're going to call you when we when you get older? Sir. <laughs> um, everyone has value. I, one of the hard times I have anytime I go north of the Mason-Dixon line is I have this thing that I call everybody sir and ma'am. I really can't help it. And the reason it, that I do it is because when I was uh, 18 years old and I, I thought I was going to go into the military and go into the Marines... The Marine uh, recruiter took me up to Quantico, Virginia one day, and I watched him, and he called everybody ma'am and sir, regardless of anything, except for sergeants, because there's some weird rule about that in the military, because they work for a living or something, right? So, anyhow, he would call everybody sir and ma'am, and the thing I noticed about this recruiter is it was genuine. He wanted to show, show respect to everyone. And I just, I picked up on that at that age and I just thought, you know, I like that because everybody has value. And do you know your value isn't what you bring to the table. Your value is because of your brand. You were made by God. And so the, the, the brand on you is made by God. So you already have value. You already is important. I know I did that wrong. You already is important. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. Right? I mean, you already have so much value, and it's not based on what you do. And if that is your presupposition, when you encounter every person, you will treat them with respect. Yes. Yeah. And there's something about that that edifies and builds people up, and they they don't they they need it even though they don't want it. Steve, yesterday when we were doing the toilet restrooms, he looked at me, he goes, "You don't have to call me sir." And I looked at him very sincerely, and I realized I did not have the mental capacity to not do it all day. I said, "I'm really sorry. I can't stop." I do it with everybody. And we went around, we went about our day. Another real practical thing is, you know when your family, you pitch in, right? 
you have a dinner, you know, it's like, okay, I need to go empty the trash. Okay, you need to go wash the dishes. Okay, it's time to do that, kind of time to do this. Don't hesitate when people are around to say, hey, we're doing such and such. Will you grab that chair and da-da-da-da-da and just like fill in the blank? Because it's not that you're trying to order people around. You're inviting them in. It's treating them like family, right? I mean, you could go too far with that. You know, it's like, can you do that, 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 and then report back to me? Like the young man <laughs> yesterday was like, yes, sir, sir, yes, sir. It's like, wow. I love the culture of what you, you have created here. And really, it's the father is creating a culture of his family in this place. And the thing that I think we don't see right now is we don't see the generations that are coming after us. And I want to share this, this last analogy to close with you this morning. And it's, I have, we have a lot of wells where I live because it's a rural community. We, and so literally our water comes from the ground, not from the city, right? Like d- down deep. When you dig these wells, there's two things that are important. One is the depth and the other is the flow. When you dig a well, you hit water and then you keep on digging and you basically create a mini reservoir right there, right? And for those of you who like a lot of details, more details than you need, for every foot deep of water, it's a gallon and a half of water. So if you have 100 feet of water in your well, that's 150 gallons of water, right? The wells out in the community that I live in are typically four and 500 feet deep. Right, and the water starts around fifty feet or so, depending on the well. That's one. That's one thing about your resource. The other thing about your resource is the flow. It's what you call the refresh rate, and the flow is how much water is coming in as you pull it up out of the ground. Well, a good well can have five. Even Maxine's home the other day, I found out, has ten gallons a minute of refresh. She can water her lawn, run the laundry, do whatever she wants. She ain't running out of water in that place. Ten gallons a minute. In this house, you are digging a deep well. And the further you dig, the more reservoir you will have. Right? Right? And the more that we let God move and be God, the more flow we have to refresh. So that when we work hard on a weekend and we go to a festival and we give it all for Jesus, we allow the refresh rate to fill our reservoir back up. Right, And the well that you are digging is not just for you. The well that you are digging in this city is for the people who are going to come behind you as well. They're going to come in and they're just going to hook into the well that you've dug. So if you've been here for six months, if you've been here for a year, if you've been here for six years, you have been helping dig a well that's going to serve generations of people. What an amazing privilege. And I know the work gets hard. And I know that at times the enemy makes you feel like, you know, I want to push you out. But you are digging a well. You're creating a homestead in the middle of this place that's going to serve generations. So you look at the enemy and you just say, back up. Because this is the Lord's house. You don't have authority here. Amen. 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 Pastor Ben. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Mike. Um, Let's just close in prayer. And if you're feeling that need for refreshing, uh, just feel free to reach out to the Lord. Uh, Let's agree. And I I, uh, agree 